Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning. I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians six or 9, verses 6 to 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in your prayers, for, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this, his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, church. If you're in junior high, you can head out right now to your, uh, the rest of your church service with Pastor Kate, who is getting up and moving over. If this is your first time here, you're a junior high kid and you want to join, by all means, uh, please uh, head out with them. I, uh, I confessed to you last week that even though I, I took some economics courses in my undergraduate that I really don't know anything about economics, that I struggled to uh, survive those courses. But uh, when I, in my next life, after I got into marketing, one of the things that we were constantly doing and the question that was constantly being asked of us or the people that in my team that we worked for was uh, trying to measure what's called ROI. You know what ROI is? Return on investment. It was a constant uh, needing to give account. Hey, did what we spend get back what we had hoped to get out of it. We spent a couple million dollars on an advertising campaign. Did that uh, result in several more million dollars in increased business? Did it or did it not? If it didn't, we got to do something else. But constantly we have to know, are we getting a return on our investment? And actually, that's not a question that really um, only people in business ask or only people uh, who are investors ask. It's actually something that every one of us operates out of. Every dollar you spend you have an expectation of ROI. You have an expectation that you're going to get something back from where you're putting that dollar. And however you define what the return is, the expectation is that there will be one, otherwise you wouldn't send that dollar where it's going. Whatever you buy, you're expecting some return, some feeling, some uh, uh, benefit, some incremental thing, whether it's a, a meal at a nice restaurant, you're expecting a certain kind of meal and a certain kind of service and a certain kind of feeling after or whether it's a piece of clothing that you're buying, you're expecting that it's going to last, that it's going to look good, that it's going to go well with whatever else that you've got that other people might say, hey, that looks nice on you. That's a good color on you. That brings out the green in your eyes. Uh, You know, there's some return that you're expecting from that, whether it's a piece of property that you buy or a car that you buy or whatever it is. 
there's a return that we actually all operate out of. Unconsciously, but we're saying, hey, I'm going to pay this. And actually, we, we know that because we get upset sometimes when what we paid for didn't deliver. Oh, that, that meal wasn't that, or this thing broke after two weeks, or what's wrong with this place? What's wrong with that product, that service? It didn't return. It didn't return what we were expecting it to. And that's not a bad thing. That's just a principle of life. In fact, you'd say, well, that's a good thing. Shouldn't we want to get something in return? And shouldn't what we get in return outweigh the cost of what we gave? As we go into this, or we're actually, as Melissa said, we're wrapping up a series on money. And we said that this is actually a, a universal human condition that we're a, a part of, regardless of your faith background, regardless of whether this is your first time in church, your first time in a long time, or somebody that says, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm trying to, um, to walk with him and to, to understand what does it mean for my whole life to be um, you know, lived in response to him. We say, hey, our money's in play here. Now, I know some people, certainly people outside the church who don't go to church anymore, and many of the conversations I've had with friends of mine and people that I've worked with over the years that don't go to church anymore, a lot of it is because they think, oh, the church is only about money. Church only wants your money. Now, that may have been true in, in, in the church that they, they grew up with. And certainly, if you look at the history of religion in general, it certainly does seem that that was one of the big drivers. But as we say, okay, Jesus didn't come to propagate religion. He came to end it. He came to shut it down. He came to say, hey, any, any path, any value was there was actually meant to, to lead to me. And so you might say, well, why would we let Jesus talk to us about money? And the point that I've been making to you all the way is that everyone's talking to you about your money all the time. Every advertisement that you see in a bus shelter, on a bus, on your phone, on the internet, on TV, wherever you go, everybody is actually talking to you about your money. They're trying to teach you about it. But the problem is, is that pretty much everybody who's trying to get it from, uh, teach you about it is trying to get it from you. Even the people that would say offer um, financial advice, like a financial seminar, which actually might be a better spend of your money than the next vacation you were going to take. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But even them, they're trying to get your money, right? Because they're trying to run a business. Well, God doesn't need your money to run his business. He's not on the brink of disaster and trying to ramp up his marketing spend so he can stay alive for one more year. <laughs> right? This sounds ridiculous. As they say, yeah, of course. God doesn't need my money. Why would he talk to me about it? Because he wants something for me. He doesn't need anything from me. And in fact, he's the one person in scriptures through the Old Testament and then in, through Jesus in the life of the New Testament that is the one person talking to you about money that doesn't need anything from you but wants it for you. Therefore, we should say, okay, God, what do you have to say about my money? And it doesn't matter whether you uh, uh, call yourself a Christian or not. There is wisdom in, in the scriptures and in the life and teachings of Christ that actually bring us to the point and say, yeah, this actually makes sense. Because ROI is something every one of us wants. The problem is that there is a myth that we believe that will get us the greatest return on investment. And the myth is, number one is always first. The myth is, hey, the best way to get a return on investment is to make sure that I am first in line, that I'm the one actually reaping the rewards. I see this all the time, actually, when people say, well, they pass someone on the street who's uh, maybe begging for money, and they say, well, I'm not going to give that money, money to that person. Well, how come? Well, they'll probably spend it on cigarettes. And then we walk into Starbucks and buy a $4 latte. At least the cigarettes lasted longer than the latte you sucked back before you got to work. Probably made the guy even feel a little bit better than caffeine. Some of you have problems, I know. I'm just saying. What we're saying is, you know what? I don't want him to waste it on him. I'd rather waste my money on me. The assumption is he's going to waste it, but I know what I'm doing with it. Why? Because it's my money. And we kind of challenge that myth, actually, the, first, the second week. says so it's actually not. It's everything comes from God. But ultimately, what I'm saying in that is like, I'd rather waste it on me than waste it on you. That's often how we do it. Why? Because number one is first. 
because that's the way I'm going to get the return on investment. And the scriptures actually challenge that notion for us. You see, many of us think, or maybe we grew up with this belief, whether because of our home, because of our church, or whatever faith system we had, that God's this kind of um, you know, stingy stickler that just wants to kind of clamp down our fun. And if he's going to talk to us about money, he's just going to say, don't spend, be frugal. The shirt you've got is good enough. Just live with it. Going to kind of clamp us down like a minimalist God. That's what many of us think, or at least a, a no fun God. But the scriptures actually tell us that God is interested in ROI even more than we are. He wants to maximize the return on your investment, which is why he talks to us about money in the first place. He actually wants you to get more, even more than you want to get more. He just knows that the way we go about it, which is saying number one is always first, is actually a lie. And the passage that Mark read for us this morning from a book uh, called Corinthians, and it was one of the letters of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to these young churches, maybe churches just like ours, that were a few years old, that were coming to grips with what does it mean that Jesus has come and lived and taught and healed and worked in power and then was killed and then raised to life and has ascended now as the reigning king over this world. That now, that changes everything, including our money. And he writes them this section of this letter to this church trying to tell them about money. And his point is in there is challenging the whole concept of our belief that number one is always first. But the language he uses is all ROI language. He says, if you look, um, you just pop that up on the screen for us, Pam. He says, look at the very first line. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap what? Generously. What is this sowing and reaping thing? It was an agrarian culture. Many of them were farmers. They lived off the land, so they understood it's ROI, right? You put in something, you get something better. If the seed was worth more than what you'd grow, you'd never invest it. But the seed is small, you send it into the ground, and over time, it grows, and you get a harvest. You reap generously. So he's talking about ROI. Our ears should go up and say, whoa, 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 what, what? What's he talking about here? He's talking about blessing. He's talking about getting more than what we put in. And maybe even better than ROI is this. What you grow comes from what you sow, right? What you sow something like seed, in a sense, just like that's the money we have. We spend it, and we're expecting something to grow in return. We're expecting to get something back. And here's the thing. You know this. I know this. It's true about all of us. Almost everything that we spend our money on, we get less than what we put in. Even though we want more, what we often get is less. In fact, think about this. Many of the things that you buy are most valuable the day you buy them, and from there on in, their value depreciates. Their value gets less and less over time. In other words, the most value it had was equal to the amount that you paid for it on the day that you bought it, and after that, it's worth less than the money you paid for it. ROI is going like this on almost everything. Cars depreciate. You know this. Drive it off the lot, 6000 bucks, gone. You just paid that 6000 bucks yesterday. The sweater you used to like, it's got pills or whatever. Now you got to buy something to get rid of the pills because it's depreciating. <laughs> as an asset. You might say, well, a home, certainly in this market, it's appreciating. Yeah, but everything you put into it is depreciating. So you have to keep refreshing it. 
right? Because the styles you thought that were great that the builder gave you on the day one, like two years later, five years later, Pinterest, man, it's just killed us, right? What? I could have had that. It could look like that. I could do that with this space. What do you got to do? Put money into it. What happens as soon as you put into it? It's now starting to preach it. Okay, maybe the asset's going up a little bit, but the stuff inside has to keep on being refreshed. Now, I'm not saying to you that there aren't investment vehicles and all that kind of stuff where your money can appreciate and all that kind of thing. But here's the thing. When you sow for yourself, what grows? The self, right? Even for those that say, oh, no, hey, I put my money in good. Th- I don't spend a lot of money on vacations. I don't spend a lot of, well, vacations have like really short, you know, like ROI, right? And then it's gone. Then you're like, what? I was on vacation last weekend. I remember I had to work twice as much before and twice as much after. And now the tan is going, you know? But you say, okay, I don't even do that. I, I, I find investment vehicles that double my money. What happens when you begin to make more? What grows in your mind? The self. And so the problem with ROI is most of what we spend our money on depreciates, has less of a value, has a declining sense. And if anything's growing at all, the self is growing with it. Our own kingdom, our own empire, what we have. And I'll tell you a little while later, you see statistics will show that the, actually the more we have, the tighter we hold on self. And so the Apostle Paul is proposing to people in the name of Christ that there is another way to reap a, a better reward, actually better than we could. And he says, it's, how we, it's, it's when we give. That when we give, when we see, he's talking about giving, he's talking about giving money away. When we give, the return actually is higher. He doesn't say when you give, then God will love you more. He doesn't say when you give that you'll have, you know, you, you just should do it because you're obedient. The promise in Scripture, and actually if you look at anything that God commands us to do, the reason is always reward. It's always blessing. How many times in the Scripture it says, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the person. In other words, you know, hey, you want reward, you want blessing? We're all out for it. I want to get mine. It's not for obedience sake. It's not for duty. It's not because this is your religious observance. It's because you're going to get more than what you ever thought. He's actually proposing to us the best ROI principle going. It's giving. It's giving. And so what does that look like? How does that work? The first biblical principle is give, then live. Give, then live. This one by itself if we could begin to incorporate it into our lives, would change everything. See, many of us think, well, I don't have enough to give. Like, I'm just getting by. And Malcolm was telling me that the Global Mail every so often does this series of where, where couples or households will submit their finances to the public. And, and they'll write an article, and their finances will be published in the thing, and their, and their financial challenges, and then the rest of the world can weigh in or whoever is going to try to give them some advice. And oftentimes you have, he said, one of the couples was, had a combined household income of $400,000. They gave two hundred and fifty dollars a year. two hundred fifty period, $250 out of $400,000. And their general feeling was, we don't have enough. Now we all laugh, and maybe we even scoff, but we all think the same way. They did a survey once, uh, a few years ago people making anywhere from $20,000 a year to $200,000 a year. And, and I know this is true. I've forgotten the source. I keep looking for it. I, I did read it, okay? So you can choose to believe me or not. 
but test if this is not if that's true in your own life. Anywhere from $20,000 a year to $200,000 a year. And they ask them this one question. How much more do you need to feel? Remember we talked about last week? Oh, how much more? The average answer was double. Double. Doesn't matter what you make. We all think if I had double, I'd feel And so we can laugh at people who make $400,000 a year and still feel like they don't have enough. But the truth is, every one of us feels this way. We will never feel like we have enough. If that's the requirement for giving, we'll never give. There will always be a pressing need. Because remember we talked about last week how every time we make more or we spend more, so our standard of living is always increasing, which means there's always just, we feel like barely this amount of margin, and it's always creating pressure in our lives, which means if we're waiting for that pressure to go away, to go, wow, I have so much extra, then I'll give, it will never happen. It's a lie. And actually, if I want the greater return, the scriptures say, give generously. It doesn't just say give. Give generously. And the biblical principle is give first, then live. Give, then live. Remember last week we talked about if you could pick a percentage of your income, Levon, that many of us just by default pick 100 or 105? If we picked lower than that, and I said to you, well, BJ, what would we do with the rest? I told you I'd tell you next week. (laughs) If you have a lower percentage, you give. Percentage giving locks it in. It says, first dollar doesn't go to me. No matter what, This percentage, no matter what comes in, this percentage is going to God. Now, it's kind of funny to even use that language because all of it came from God anyway. But when you give on a percentage, whatever that percentage is, you are locking it in and you are saying, not me first. I will always give. Everything else under that line is up for grabs, but not that one, which says, God, you first, not me. Give, then live. Percentage giving commits us to a path. You know what it says? It says, my first act of spending is an act of faith. Right? The first thing I'm doing is to trust God. Because does God need my 10% or whatever I give? He doesn't need it. I need it. I need to remember you are in charge of everything I own. If I have the ability to earn anything, it's because you gave it to me. You can make it rain when I never could. And I'm going to put a knife in this selfish instinct that I have that it's me first, me first. And when I percentage give, I say it's an act of faith when I give you that dollar saying you are in charge of this life, not me. That if anyone's going to increase the amount of grain in my storehouse, it's you, not me. It's not about me, nor is it sustained by me. See, giving isn't just saying, okay, I'm not going to be about me. It's actually saying, God, wow, this doesn't even depend on me. You know what? It's not up to me to make everything work. Yes, I want to be a good steward. Yes, I want to be disciplined. Yes, I want to be future-oriented. Yes, I want to be wise. But ultimately, when I've done everything I can and still I feel like there's not enough, I know it's actually not on me. I'm not going to wear that stress on these shoulders. Every time I give, not only do I say it's not about me, it's not up to me. Give, then live brings freedom. Give, then live is an act of faith. 
You know, even give, then we talk about, oh, do you tithe on gross? I tithe on gross. You know why? Because I don't want the government to get the first dollar. I want God to get it. Because the government's not in charge of how my life is going to go. I'm trying to be obedient to them. But I'm just saying. They're not the ones that determine how much left I have. And some, some of us have a very bad attitude toward the taxes we pay. And it's like, oh, I can't believe we had only left with this much. Every time I give to God, I say, you're the one that determines how much is left at the end of the day, not them. It's an act of faith. You don't have to do that. I'm just saying, that's why I do it. It's not about the rule. It's about faith. It's about saying, I actually want him to be in charge and I need to remind myself. And every time I give, I do. I give, then I live. I give and then I trust God to help me live. Many of us would say, well, I, I can't do that percentage. Like, would God actually want me to give at the expense of having food on my table? No. If it's a choice between giving money away and buying bread for that day, buy it, okay? <laughs> but that's not the choice most of us. That's not the trade-off most of us are making. We say that because we're afraid. If I keep giving, will it get all the way down to the fact that I have nothing left? I know there may be some of you that are like that, but for the most of us, that's not the choice we actually have to give up. We're afraid to give first because, well, then what if I don't get to do this? Or what if I don't get to buy this? What if I don't get to afford that? And does that mean we have to cancel that? And we were going to planning on doing that. And is that? So we're not talking about bread on the table. We're talking about a whole host of other things that we really wanted to do instead. And what giving does is says, you know what? I'm going to give and I'll force myself to make the harder decision and I'll trust God to let me live. Give then live. But that's an incomplete picture. If it's just give, then live, we're missing something. Actually, we're missing the thrust of this whole passage. Here's the second part, and I tried to rhyme it so you'd remember. Give, then live, and God will bring more through your door. That's what the scripture says. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, you want more for your dollar? You want a better ROI? You want to have more... At the end of this year, you want to feel like, man, that was a good year. You want that? Give. Give generously. And do it unashamedly because you want more. You give not to pay off God, who's the big brother, mafia, bully on the schoolyard, paying for protection kind of thing, and leave me alone with my rest, and hopefully you'll look after me. No. I'm giving out of faith, but I'm actually trusting that if I do that, you'll bring more through my door. And I want more. Look at the scripture, what, what it says in this passage. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Look at this. God, verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that, look at this, in all things, at all times, having all that you need. There is no scarcity language in this passage. Having all things, at all times, all that you need. There's no thin promise here, friends, thin reward. It's abundant. All times, all things you will have. And you can abound in every good work. It's basically saying that all of life will be more abundant the more we give. You think, is that really true? That actually this isn't just an issue of my money, but the, the, the joie de vivre, as the French say, that I want, the abundant life that Jesus said he came us to give, the sense of feeling alive actually has to do with what I do with my money. Yes, it does, because we're always spending to try to get that feeling. What do you feel when you look in the mirror and you got a nicer looking shirt than you had before? A little more alive. 
a little more beautiful. That new car smell, <laughs> that exotic place that you went to and you got to see, what do you want? You want to feel a little more alive. That's why you're spending all of your money in the first place. And God says, this is how you get that. Give then live, give generously, and I will bring more through your door. I will actually not only give you what you need, but you will abound. You will have life to the full. What is the more that God brings through your door? The first one is faith. Like even more than provision, and God will provide, he does. He, 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 people say to me, Vijay, how does it work? The math, the math will never work on giving. You look at it and go, oh, we have so much left. No, it'll never be that way until you start giving. And then stuff comes in and you're like, how did God even do that? And your mom that always said to you, money can't grow on trees. Well, somehow with God it does. I don't even know how to explain it to you. This is a clear biblical principle. You will have more money at the end of the day. It says it in the Old Testament. God actually tells his people, you know what? You know, we say, oh, don't test God, don't test God. It's the one area where it says, test me. In Malachi, it says they were, they were bringing in, like they were supposed to tithe, you know, animals, right? And he's like, you're bringing in the lame, you're finding all the blind and the lame sheep in your flock that you don't want to mate with the other ones and you're bringing me that. And he's like, you know what? I'd rather you not bring it at all. In other words, half-hearted lame stuff is not out of faith. If you don't have faith, don't even bother. This is, I don't need your crippled sheep. I want your faith. And he says, test me and see if I won't open the storehouses of heaven and provide. And in this passage, it clearly says, you will have all that you need. You will have more. But that's not the best thing God can do for you. You know, you and I can think, well, I kind of provide, you know, for myself because I work and I make the money. Okay, fine. Even if you could bring bread on your table, can you actually make yourself have more faith? Can you do that? I don't know about you. I can't do that. That's a gift. God has to do that. And when we begin to give, God gives us the thing that we can't get ourselves, which is faith. We actually begin to grow. When, he, when we see him provide and we go, okay, my whole paradigm for how this whole money thing works, you are blowing it apart. And I asked Tim, one of, the, uh, one of my friends and one of the people in our church congregation, just share a story of how God uh, did this for their family at a certain time in life. And, it, and it's not just this story. There are so many stories, but I want you to just hear the nuts and bolts of what does this actually look like? How does this actually bring more faith in our lives? Thanks, Vidj. <clears throat> um, when Vidj asked me if I wanted to share something, I jumped at the chance because there's been so many times in our lives that God has really shown up financially for us. Um, <clears throat> when we, Melissa and I got married, we were fairly young. We had a lot of good intentions and ideals that we wanted to stick to. And we, you know, we, when we were first married, we sat down and we kind of went through a bunch of stuff that we thought, this is the way that we want our lives to go. And it could have been anything from, well, we want to live in a house or we want to, um, you know, always pick the place we live that's close to the church we're going to. And we, little did we know that a lot of those things would intersect d different times in our lives, and sometimes in, in hard ways. So a couple of things were um, we wanted uh, Melissa to stay home with the kids, and she wanted that too. And um, we always said, you know, <clears throat> when it comes to, to tithing, that would be something that we did first. And we, being young and, and naive, we didn't know those two things could actually intersect because you see when when one person stays home and isn't earning a wage, then the, the tithing takes on a, a lot bigger meaning because you have less money overall. 
But we did notice that God um, was faithful in that. But as we, as we got a little bit older and we had more kids, and as, as you know, living in Vaughan or Toronto isn't the cheapest place, things got a little bit harder. It was always a little bit of a stress. Melissa was more faithful than I was, but we always stuck to those things, even, even though it was a hard thing. And one, the one way that we started seeing creep in was this little bit more um, mentality where we say, if we, you know, if we just, just had like 200 more dollars a month, like it could be that small, it would be, that would help us out. And most of the times it wasn't for anything that was frivolous. It would be, you know, piano lessons or swimming lessons or, or uh, you know, in, in lean years it would be, well, we're going to keep two cars on the road or one car. We're not talking about, or we do have food. We always had food. But it was those, those things living in, in, in a first world country in a, in a, a wealthy city where people around you live like that. And you think, well, these, you know, th these are something we need. And we like to have two cars, and it's cold in the winter, and I don't like walking and all, all the rest. And so we got, we got into this a little bit more. And the way I dealt with that was, well, um, I'm going to work more. I'm going to take on another job. So uh, for a long time, I had two jobs, and it could be anything. And, and even some of you in this congregation, I worked for you. And it would be after hours, and, and we would go on these big cycles of, oh, uh, okay, now we're just making a little bit more. And yeah, now we can pay for that. And oh, isn't this great? And, and it really started to take a toll on family life. And I remember uh, Vidj preached a sermon, um, and it was quite timely. And I don't even remember what the sermon was about, but it, uh, he was speaking around... Haggai, and I just remember that I was working for Dave Clements at the time, and I was working, you know, 45 hours at one job and, and 20 for Dave, and Dave kept saying, is that okay? Like, that seems like a lot. I said, no, 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 we need it, you know, and so Vidj prayed this, this sermon, and he said, it was on ha in Haggai, and he said, um, uh, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, it blew away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. So we had this cycle, and, and I remember going to David and saying, I, brother, I, I got to quit. Like, I feel like I'm bringing this stuff home, and it's just blowing away. Well, so we would sit down every year and do a, a, a budget, and it was always terrifying. I would always come with the first revision to Melissa and say, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay. Like, look, this is, it's tight, we're okay. And she'd go, but there's, there's no food in there. Okay, yeah, we're not okay anymore. <laughs> but every year, God would come through. And what we, what we learned was it wasn't what I thought was the variable expenses, like piano lessons, um, you know, how much gas you put in, did you go out for dinner. It, what, those, those aren't the variable, lesson, the variable line items for God. The variable line item was your income because he is ultimately the one that, provides. And when I was doing this whole, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, yeah, I brought it home, but it was terrible. And so we really started saying, is this really what God wants for us? So it came to a time where all of our kids had gone into school. And I thought, finally, oh, Melissa can go back to work. This is going to be fantastic. I mean, we're talking about doubling our income here. And Melissa came to me and she said, Tim, I, I was praying and I heard from God. And I said, well, oh, well, okay, what did you hear? She said, well, I... I heard that I'm supposed to stay home for one more year and, and just um, immerse myself in God's word. Oh, really? Because I, I didn't hear that at all. <laughs> but I prayed about it too, and yes, and I thought, oh, man, like one more year, one more year. 
And just around that time, I said, well, okay, I got to do the budget again. Because I did, I said, we don't even need to do a budget. Like, this is going to be the year of harvest. Like, we are going to, like, there, there'll be, all, all, you know, don't, don't put any stops on any spending. This is going to be great. Well, now suddenly I'm back into it. So I said, okay, let's do the, let's do the budget. And I did the budget. And once, once again, you know, every time I would do this budget, it was, it was always around the amount that we were short was the amount that we were going to tithe. Isn't that interesting? So we said, well, you know, what can we do? I'm immediately thinking, well, you know, I can work more. I can, what can we do? Start an online business and I can work, you know, while I'm in bed and I can, I, what can we do? I don't know what to do. And God always showed up when I didn't try to do anything else. We just waited on him. And I don't tell you this as some, someone from a family who has reached some nirvana about God's um, provision in your life, and I don't worry about anything. No, I still, even up to last week, was fretting about, well, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do there? But I want to tell you this short story about how God provided in seven days. So we came up with the amount that we were short, and I didn't know what to do, to be honest. And I was driving home one day, <clears throat> and I was pulling my trailer with me, Smash! Some lady smashes in the back of me. Oh, yeah, this is exactly what I need right now. So I get out, I look, and it's, it's cosmetic damage. Her car's not damaged at all. And I'm saying, I said, well, what, okay, what do you want to do? She says, well, I mean, I can, I can pay this much. She said a number. And it was actually almost what the trailer cost. I said, okay. She said, but I got to write you a check. I said, Okay. So I took the check and I drove off and I think, who takes a check? Who takes a check for like damage to your vehicle? I went home, I said, well, you know what? If this, if this thing deposits and clears, it'll be a miracle. I told Miss and she's like, you took a check? Who takes a check? So the week after that, we're still pretty down and I look in the account, lo and behold, this thing clears. A couple days later, I'm, I'm driving my aunt home who's visiting. She's uh, a single lady uh, all her life, never had a double income. She's retired. And I'm driving her home back from our place. We went over for dinner. She says, Tim, I, I, I want you to have um, this. And she gives me an envelope. I said, oh, thank you very much. Didn't know what was in it. And I got home. And you know, with the two things, it brought us to within 50 bucks of what we needed for Melissa to stay home that year. And so... That night, we're, uh, I'm, I'm joking with Melissa, and we're talking, and, and just, you know, we like to share this with the kids because they have to see that. And I said to her, well, I guess, I guess we still got to wait for the last 50 bucks, right? The last 50 bucks, and we were joking about it and laughing. The next day, she was scheduled to go see her grandmother. What do you think her grandmother gave her? 50 bucks. And so I, I, I tell you that um, to encourage you that the variable line items in your budget are not what you think. Because, sorry, because God can provide. And one last thing, the best part of it all, is usually what happens, I shouldn't say usually, always, um, at the end of the year, when we get our tax return, it's always our joy to take a portion of the tax return and give it to somebody. 
and it could be uh, or an organization or whatever, but God always brings someone or something to mind. And there is more joy that we get from giving that money away because it's a cup that has overflown in our lives. And it's like the cherry on top of the pie, on top of the ice cream at the end of the year to say, we have enough and we're going to give away. So I just want to encourage you with that. Thank you, Tim. That's not a story of God's provision, is it? It's a story of more. Like what comes into your life is not just what you needed or what you could have got for yourself, but the faith that comes where we start to see God for who he really is, that he would care down to that detail, to the stuff of life, if we would only wait and trust him. That's just the beginning of more. It's not just the financial provision and having all that you need, but abounding in every good work, overflowing in more generosity. And then Paul says, actually, the giving that you provide actually allows the gospel to continue to go out. The giving that you do even in our church allows us to minister to you and to this congregation and to the the city around us. It allows us to have staff who can teach our kids, who can lead our home groups, who can preach on Sundays. It allows us to actually, um, you know what, the, there's a home now that is in, in, for these kids in, in Guinea. They're going to have a permanent home. Over the years, we've been able to pay for food. We've been able to uh, shelter. We've been able to pay for um, rent, security, AIDS medications. And now along with many others, pay to actually have a home. Like your, your giving actually multiplies itself in so much more joy portion of the money that you give to our church, we actually give. Um, we actually gave uh, over, I think, around, it was close to 20% of our money away, either directly to Guinea, but also to, we have a whole host of international workers. And some of you that know Lizette, who works in this orphanage in Guinea, she's a Canadian person. And you go over there and you meet her and you get to know her and you think, oh my gosh, I can never do what you do. Yeah, but your giving actually allows her to do what she does. So we have a, a, a model in our, in our denomination where a whole bunch of our churches give to this thing called the Global Advance Fund. It sounds like a fund is not an exciting thing to give to. But people, when you meet the people who are actually going, was another woman, Kathy Johnson, who just came through our church a couple weeks ago, who's going now to work full-time with Lizette in Guinea. Our friends Wayne and Catherine Cassidy who are in Central Asia. Our giving allows us to support their funding so they don't have to spend time wondering where money's going to come from. They can do the work that you and I think, well, I could never do that. Yeah, but your giving allows that to happen. Your giving actually results in ministering to people and changing people's lives. Your giving allows us to run day camps, not only for our own kids, that could actually come to a point where they realize Jesus is their best friend, that Jesus is going to change their lives, and they say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. But that we have other kids in the city who might not ever come to church, or at least that wouldn't be their first step, but they could actually come to a camp. Your giving allows us actually to do that. It multiplies itself in so much more. I remember one year, <clears throat> Jen and I had a, had a tax return coming, and we said, okay, we need some of that money to do this. And we, we kind of didn't know exactly where we were coming, but it was like average from our past year's tax returns, probably about this. And then we said this, okay, God, if you give us anything more, we're going to just give it away. We had $9,000 more that year. It was the largest tax return we've, I don't even know how it happened. To this day, I keep still, I still wait for the, uh, for, uh, you know, the government to come and say, we made an error. It's like, I knew it. I gave it away. And for the moment when I saw that number, I thought, did I actually say that thing out loud to Jen about giving it all away? <clears throat> but it suddenly made me realize God said, okay, now I can give you more because I know what you're going to do with it. And now I started to think, like, 
like, Tim, this joy. It's like, oh, who needs this money? So I walk into church. <clears throat> There's this young kid who's in university, and he was going overseas for a mission trip short term. And he came up to me. He said, VJ, um, would you sponsor me for this trip? I'm like, sure. I, I, I said, uh, how much are you trying to raise? Oh, 2000 Well, how much do you have so far? Oh, nothing. I'm like, here's $2,000. He's like, what? I felt like Richard Branson or something that day, just like throwing <laughs> money away. He was like, what? <clears throat> Him and his wife are full-time now overseas in Africa. Like every time I get their letters thinking, I don't know how you can raise kids in these conditions. I could never do that. But he said to me a few years ago when he came, he said, VJ, that day blew my mind. He said, I felt like God saying to me, you think that finances are a limitation to what I want to do in your life. And I got to play a very small part at right, just the right time in that couple's life that has changed their lives and hopefully many more people. And I felt so blessed. Why? Because I was ready to give. There's way more joy that comes out of that than if I would burned that on a vacation. All of which, these are all good things. The question is, friends, how much more do we want? That's what's at stake. God never wags his finger at us saying, you're too cheap and you should do this and you should do that. And I hope you never get that impression from me or anybody in the church because I just don't believe it. I don't worry about where money from our church is going to come from. God always provides. But I worry how much more you're getting through your door because that is my job to worry about. How much more faith is being built in your home? How much more joy are you getting by participating in what God is wanting to do all over the world and maybe right in your neighborhood and maybe places that you were never even thinking about? That is my concern because there's more for us. And so here's what I want to suggest to you then we're going to take communion together and invite the worship team to come up. Pick a percentage to give. Just pick a percentage. Some of you that give here and there, chances are if you go and do the math, you actually are giving a lot less than you think you are if you actually did a percentage. You may say, well, I gave $200 away to someone once who, oh, that's a lot of money. That's 10% of one vacation. The Old Testament actually has a principle of 10%. The New Testament actually, people say, well, it doesn't actually say a percentage. You're right, because in the front of the New Testament is the cross of Jesus Christ, of a God who held nothing back from us and says, how much more do you actually want? Some of you, you haven't been percentage giving at all. Pick a percentage, whatever it is. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But start and say, I'm going to lock this in because I'm going to say the first dollar every year, the next dollar every year is going to the one who actually rules, as Tim says, the variable line item in my budget. That's where the next dollar is going. So pick a percentage and then do this. Give a higher percentage on the next dollars that come in. Because statistically, they did a study in the U.S. 2011, the top 20% richest families in America gave 1.4% away. The bottom 20% gave 3.4% away. Statistically, not just dollar amount, or well, dollar amount, stuff, statistically, percentage-wise, the more people make, the less they give. You can't beat that percentage. Why? Because you're just trying to get more. And the more you get more, the more you spend more, and the more you realize I need more. Friends, it's a lie. And so what we actually have to do to reverse that is incrementally give at a higher percentage. So I'm going to pick this percentage. If you're at zero today, pick 5% and say, I'm going to try to get there in two years. I'm going to claw my way there. Is my 2.5% plan this year, 2.5%. The next year I'm going to grow. But then the next dollars that come in, whether it's tax return, salary increase, whatever, I'm actually going to give it like 7.5%. Or I'm going to give it 10%. Some of you are at 10% now, and you don't actually feel it. it. It's nothing to you. So the New Testament actually introduces another principle, not just percentage, but proportion. How much do you have left? I started to think, man, if God owns everything, and if I can do 10% easily, what's 10% for everything that he's given me? Can I give more? 
And I've said, God, okay, I'm going to pick a percentage because I can't be manic about this. And I'm not going to feel guilty about this. I'm always looking, oh, I should give more, I should give more. I'm going to pick a percentage, God, and then I'm going to give, and then I'm going to trust you to poke me and move me if, if you need to move that percentage. And every couple of years, he does. Every two years, it's like, hey, another need comes along, something comes up, whatever, it's going to begin to move. And invite the worship team up to do that. Lead us. <clears throat> I want more faith in my life. How about you? Who wants more faith? Hands up. Yeah. Who wants more? Oh, hands up. Yeah. Who wants more joy? Hands up. Who wants to, to, to who, who doesn't want to miss out on what God has plans for you in the lives of other people? Yeah. This is what this is about. It's not about his law, what you're supposed to do. You say, God, okay, I actually want more through my door. Show me what to do. Let's stand together.